Amen, amen, and amen. And there is no name higher. There is no name greater. There is no name sweeter than that of Jesus. And it is good to gather together as the body of Christ and to lift high the name above all names. To make much of Jesus, the one who knows us and the one who made us. The one who gladly gave his life so that we might spend life eternal with him. Oh, what an amazing Savior he is. My name is Kenneth Bruce, and I'm the senior pastor here at Westwood, and I want to welcome you and thank you so much for gathering together to worship Jesus on this Easter morn, a day in which the church of Jesus Christ gathers together, and we lift high the gospel. We celebrate a Savior who knows us and loves us, a Savior who came and gladly gave his life, and three days later took it back up again. This is the hope of the gospel, and this is why we gather, and this is why we celebrate. This is why men walk around in pink shirts, and they're okay with it. It was October the 10th of 1968. It's a significant date in the life and history of Detroit, Michigan. Because in this city, they celebrated a World Series championship. And they won it in dramatic form. They came back from behind in game seven of the World Series. Now, the next day, the entire city celebrated. And on the front cover of the Detroit newspaper had two words in bold print. We win. The the city celebrated exuberantly, singing and dancing in the streets and shouting of their victory. But isn't it peculiar that they used the phrase, We win. That's a phrase that fans use a lot when their favorite team wins. But it's peculiar because we didn't do anything. We didn't sprint up the court. We didn't take the shot. We didn't run the bases. We didn't run the routes. But instead, what we're saying is, what my favorite team did in their victory, I'm accounting it to my account. I'm going to celebrate Because their victory is my victory. Well, church family, that is a picture of Easter. Easter is a celebration where the church comes together and we celebrate the victory of Jesus. But you see, we are just like those fans. We didn't do anything to help this victory take place. In fact, the opposite is true. In our sin and brokenness, we were enemies of God. We were working against God. But by his grace, he loved us so much, he sends his son Jesus, who never hesitated, who was focused on fulfilling the purpose for why he came, and that was ultimately to go to the cross. That was why Jesus came. In the Gospel of Luke, he tells us that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus fulfilled his ultimate purpose by giving his life on the cross on that Good Friday. But on the third day, on Easter morning, Jesus arose. Easter is the worldwide celebration where followers of Jesus Christ, we revel in an historic event. You see, because of what Jesus did for us through his death and through his resurrection, we shout and we sing and we dance and we celebrate. Together, the church of Jesus Christ declares, we win. 
We win, not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done for us. You see, we have, are the ones who put our faith in Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is that there's coming a day in which we too will be raised to be with Christ forever. That is the point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, that's okay. You can pull out your phone. And if you download our Westwood app, it is there that you can download a Bible from our app and be able to follow along with us. That app is a great resource in which you can follow along with sermon notes. You can connect with a life group, find different ways of serving in our church family. It's just a great one-stop shop where you can connect and to grow with people. What's interesting about the Apostle Paul is that he planted the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. We see about this, this plant that took place of this church in Acts 18 where he comes into this city and he's preaching the gospel and the Lord gathers believers and they form a church. And he spent about 18 months pouring into this church and forming this church and helping them to grow healthy and to follow hard after Christ. Well, the time came for Paul to move on, and he leaves the city of Corinth. And unfortunately, when Paul left, the church started looking more like the world instead of looking more like Christ. We see in chapter 1 where we see a church split starting to form because you have some people who are saying, well, I follow Apollos. Others are saying, well, I follow Cephas. Others are saying, well, I follow uh, Paul. And then the ultimate spiritual crowd will say, well, I follow Christ. Then you get into chapter two and you see where people are trusting more in the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God. Paul calls out the church in 1 Corinthians 3 because they're spiritually immature. You get to chapter five and he's calling out a man who has an immoral relationship with his stepmother. In chapter six, we see where the church is taking each other to court and they're suing each other. In chapter seven, he addresses unhealthy marriages within the local body. We see later on in chapter 11 where some, they come together for the Lord's Supper and some are getting drunk on the wine at the Lord's Supper. Then there are those in chapters 12 and 14 who are boasting in their spiritual gifts, thinking that they're better than everybody else. And even then, this church is so messed up, they're not even sure about the resurrection. And so in the 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives an entire chapter of 58 verses on the doctrine of the resurrection. He is driving home the significance of the resurrection, saying that there's nothing more important than this. Why? Because the resurrection is paramount to the gospel. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. Verse 17, you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then verse 19, we are to be pitied more than anyone. You see, the gospel hinges on the empty tomb. If Jesus had not defeated death on the third day, then y'all, let's close the doors of the church, let's call the missionaries home, and let's stop preaching the gospel. Let's eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die, Paul says in verse 32. But Christ has been risen. The tomb is empty. 
And you notice in the text, I want you to see what this means for us. The first is this. Because the tomb is empty, Jesus will return and will be raised and we will be raised with him. Verse 51. Paul says, "Listen. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Paul is connecting the resurrection of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus. You see, Easter is pointing us forward to a future resurrection. So what's it going to be like? Well, Paul tells us in verse 52, it will take place in the twinkling of an eye. It will be rapid. It'll be sudden. It'll be in an instant. The second coming will be upon us faster than you can blink. It's going to happen so quickly that there are no second chances after the second coming. You see, you're not going to have a chance to pray a prayer of trusting in Christ after he has returned. You cannot delay the decision of following Jesus saying, I'm going to punt until later in my life to give my life to Christ. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live for me. But the return is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Faster than you can blink, Christ will return. And when he returns, it will be too late for anyone to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. The time of the age will come to a close and you will not be allowed a second chance. May I say to you, today is a day of salvation. If you have never trusted in Jesus, do not wait you don't know when your last day is going to be. And who knows, Christ may return. And when that happens, there is no second chance. Well, then the trumpet will sound, verse 52. And the dead in Christ will rise incorruptible. And those who are still alive, verse 51, who are believers, those who have not fallen asleep, they will be changed as well. We will all be changed. But there is coming a day when Christ, he returns. It will be the final resurrection. It will take place and we will be raised with him. Secondly, because the tomb is empty, we will be robed with new bodies. We will be robed with new bodies. Look at verse 53. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. You see, on that great day, when Christ returns, God will change this corruptible body and he will clothe it with a body that is no longer corruptible. In 1 John 3, 2, John writes, when we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 21, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. You see, at the coming resurrection, believers will have an imperishable physical body that will no longer decay it will no longer hurt it will no longer break down or die 
No more pulled muscles. No more broken teeth. No more chest colds. No more cancer. We'll have a body that will no longer be affected by sin. Christ will return and our current bodies, they will be raised and we will be robed with a new glorified body. Thirdly, because the tomb is empty, we will receive Christ's victory. We will receive Christ's victory. You see, on that great day, verse 54, when the corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and when this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Notice in the text, Paul is taunting death. He is trash-talking death. Verse 55, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Where are you at, death? You lost. You thought you had won when you nailed Jesus to the cross, but you lost. He's not dead. He is risen. You no longer have dominion over him anymore. Isaiah 25 verse 8 says that there's coming a day in which the Lord will destroy death forever. Well, Paul is connecting Isaiah's prophecy to what Jesus did on Sunday morning. You see, Jesus is the undefeated champion over sin, death, hell, and the grave. In John 11, Jesus' good friend Lazarus was dead. Lazarus's sister Martha was lamenting how Jesus was not there. And she told him, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give to you. And Jesus tells her, he will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again at the resurrection. And Jesus responds in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You see, though our physical bodies get sick, though we, we contract diseases, though we experience pain, and though we all eventually die unless Christ returns first, we shall live forever because the tomb is empty. If you are in Christ, the moment you take your last breath, you are with the Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The promise of God is that when you take your last breath as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in the very presence of Jesus because he defeated death. And unless the Lord returns, though your body will die and decay, in Jesus you live forever. He is the resurrection and the life. For 2,000 years ago, Jesus approached a tomb and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus rises from the dead and comes walking out of that tomb. It's a good thing Jesus said Lazarus. Because if he didn't, Every grave would have shot open. But there's coming a day in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead in Christ will rise. The Lord Jesus Christ will call you forth from your tomb and graves will split open and we will rise and we will be with Christ. We'll receive an incorruptible body, a body that will never sin, decay, contract a disease or die ever again. We will be with Christ because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You can have hope today that the future is sealed and secured because the tomb is empty. We have a reason to celebrate. We have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to sing and to dance. You have a reason to wake up tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and have purpose because the tomb is empty. That is the hope of followers of Christ is that we are transfixed upon Jesus and what he has done for us. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ seals and secures the eternal future of all who trust in him. Isn't it interesting how Paul equates death to a bee sting? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, And the power of sin is the law. You see, death is caused by sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You see, before we knew Jesus, our sin condemned us to death. Just as a bee leaves its stinger and its victim, the sting of death was upon all of us because we had broken God's law. You see, God gave his law to us for many purposes, but one of which was to show us that we couldn't keep it. God gave the law to show that we transgress his law, we break his law in our sin. And so we need someone who can keep the law for us. You see, Jesus is the law giver and the law keeper. He kept the law of God perfectly. He lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf because we are unable to do so. But he not only keeps God's law perfectly, Jesus dies in our place for our transgressions. And death's sting was put upon him at the cross. So now, death has lost its sting on you. The sting of death was placed upon Jesus at the cross. So now the sting of death is no longer upon those who trust in Christ. But on the third day, <laughs> on the third day, Jesus takes that stinger and he snaps it in half. Jesus defeats sin. He defeats death. And if you notice in the text, what does he do with his victory? He gives it to us. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is ours because of what Jesus did for us on the third day. In Christ, we win forever. Because of Jesus, we have victory over sin and over death. It's kind of like Jesus went and he won the greatest championship of all championships. 
He then gives you the trophy to put on the mantle of your life. He won the victory and he accredited it to you. You see, Easter is God's declaration that in Christ we win forever. Thanks be to God. Verse 57, he is worthy of all glory and honor and power and praise and dominion. He deserves your best and he deserves your all because the worst thing that could have happened to you happened to Jesus. So the best thing that happened to Jesus now happens to you. His death is now your death and his resurrection is now your resurrection. You are raised with him when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus by faith. Isn't he worthy of your best? Isn't he worthy of your all? Life and death are at stake here. Feel the weight of what Paul is driving home here. Your eternal future hinges on Jesus. And what he does through his death and resurrection is he makes a way to say, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take care of it for you. I'm going to gladly give my life for you, and I'm going to raise again so that when you trust in me, my resurrection now belongs to you. My victory is now your victory forever. You see, fourthly, because the tomb is empty, we will be rewarded for our work. We'll be rewarded for our work. Verse 58. Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, there's no such thing as wasted effort for the kingdom. It's not a waste. It's not in vain. The gospel motivates and compels us to keep serving Jesus until he calls us home. We're to be steadfast and immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Why? Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, the resurrection is your motivation for persevering in the Lord's work. If you're discouraged or if you're disheartened, look to the empty tomb and keep following Jesus. If you're depressed and you're downcast, look to the empty tomb and keep following Jesus. If you're tired and you just want to quit, look to the empty tomb and keep following Jesus. If you're helpless and if you're hopeless and you're not sure you can take one more day, then look to the empty tomb and keep following Jesus. He will reward the faithfulness of his people. And God is faithful to his word. So you keep following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has been raised, he has accomplished the victory for us. And so now we get to go work for him. Not to attain our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. It's because God has taken care of it all. We now get to go from the overflow of what Christ has done for us. We get to go and work for his glory. So, Kenneth, what are you calling on us, on us to do? Well, it's what the Bible tells us to do. The impact point is this. Trust and follow Jesus and you win forever. Trust him. Surrender your life to him. 
I'm not talking about a mental agreement saying, yeah, I agree with Jesus. I believe, yeah, he was, he was God's son. Yeah, he, he died on the cross. Okay, yeah, he rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's not just here is saying yes and amen, but that's going to sink down into my heart. And I'm going to affirm this. I'm putting the full weight of my faith upon Jesus and what he did for me. It's coming to the point in time in your life in which you surrender everything to the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, God, here is my life. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from my old way of life. I don't want to go back. And Jesus, you're my all. You gave it all for me, and so I am following hard after you. And when you trust in Christ, you will be raised. You will be robed. You will be rewarded, and you will receive Christ's victory. It's a promise from Almighty God straight to you. Two weeks ago, Christy and I had the opportunity to be in Israel. An incredible trip. And Lord willing, she and I are going to be sharing a little bit about our trip next Sunday up here on the platform in all three services to celebrate what the Lord taught us. We want to share that with you. We had the opportunity to go to the place where Jesus was buried. And I walked inside that tomb and I took a picture. And I want to show you what I found. Nothing. Jesus is alive. And he defeated death once and for all. So anyone and everybody who turns from your sin and you trust in Christ, you will be received. You have a reward, you will be robed and you will be raised. You will be with Christ and this is the hope of what God has provided for you if you trust in him. You see, when you believe the gospel, we win. We win forever. But it's not written in ink on a newspaper. It's written in the eternal word of God. Believe the gospel. Trust in Christ and follow him. And when you do, you win forever.